Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Julia Gillard, and this is a podcast of one's own. I'm offended by the lack of women in positions of leadership and the way those that do make it are treated. Today, I help lead the Global Institute for Women's Leadership at King's College London, headquartered in the Virginia Woolf Building. In 1929, Virginia said she aspired for women authors to have the space to write in a room of one's own. Here, I want women leaders to have a podcast of one's own. My guest today is Emma Watkins, who you might know as Emma Wiggle from hit Australian children's music group, The Wiggles. She's also the first woman to join the group and a leader in the ever-growing children's entertainment industry. Emma, for anybody who doesn't know, can you explain The Wiggles? Absolutely. It's been an Australian children's phenomenon for almost 30 years. Next year, The Wiggles turned 30, and I just turned 30 myself, so that's why I remember being part of The Wiggles generation from the original fans growing up. But basically... Anthony Field was at university studying early childhood development with a few of his mates, Greg Page and Murray Cook. But at the same time, on the side, they were in a rock band called the Cockroaches. (laughs) Great name. (laughs) Oh, so good. And he had some mates in that band too, particularly Jeff Fat. And when the guys at university had to do an assessment on children's music, they had to put together a few songs. They thought, okay, well, let's bring in the friends that can play great instruments. And they were only attempting to make one children's album at the time for their uni assessment, which became the Wiggles (laughs) at the time. And since then, they haven't stopped. And the cockroaches kind of subsided and they became this touring band that travel all around the world, particularly in Australia and Canada, and have performed to millions of children for the last 30 years. It's Crazy. incredible. Crazy. <laughs> it's incredible. And what that has made you as the first woman to be in the Wiggles is a real role model for girls. In fact, a friend of mine who has a young daughter said to me that apart from the women in my immediate family, Emma is the biggest female role model in my daughter's life. Oh, that's you, so sweet. Are you conscious of that? You must think about that a lot as you present Emma to girls who are watching The Wiggles. You know, I never I never think of it as myself in some weird way. And, and even when I see Emma Wiggle dolls in the shops, I know it's me, but it's, <laughs> but it's, it's her too. But the greatest thing about being a Wiggle, as opposed to playing a part in a musical theatre production, is that you are able to be yourself. 
and you have your own name. So many people ask me, is Emma actually your name? (laughs) But now I think, you know, when we're looking out into the audience and we see so many children and not just the girls, but boys and now mums and dads are wearing yellowed shirts and yellow tutus and bows in their hair, bow ties, bows on their shoes. I think over the last couple of years, initially I was quite daunted. You know, you feel such a lot of pressure looking out and all these people are dressed like you. (laughs) But then you hear the stories of parents talking about that, you know, what what you just mentioned before, children, you know, looking up to Emma Wiggle and and even they might have started dance because they'd seen it on the Wiggles for the first time or playing the drums. I hear that quite often. And now I guess because I drive the big red car, parents are using that to help children travel in the car and do up their seatbelt. And so there's so many different aspects of life that you initially don't realise that you're having an impact on with families with young children, but it's very real now. (laughs) You know, eight years in, it's happened. It's really happening. And when you first started as a Wiggle, the first girl Wiggle, you chose to dress differently from the other Wiggles. They wore uh, their very famous slacks and what we in Australia would call coloured skivvies, but I'm really conscious that word doesn't <laughs> translate. I think elsewhere it would be referred to as a turtleneck or something yeah. like that. Uh, but instead of going for the slacks and a skivvy or turtleneck, you went for a bow and a tutu. Did you think about that and what it might mean for girls and boys who watch The Wiggles to have you presented differently? You know, when I think back, I guess I didn't really think much of my costume except for what I felt comfortable dancing in. And I remember initially when Anthony said, you know, well, what do you want to wear? I guess you're not going to wear pants because he knew that I never even owned a pair of pants. (laughs) (laughs) So at that stage, I thought I was going to have a dress and, you know, we'd come up with some designs and they thought that if I was wearing something completely different to the others, it might not work in photos. So we just tried to then change the pants to a skirt and it felt so normal for me to wear that. And I said to him, you know, if I'm doing ballet, it might be nice to have a bit of frou-frou-ness, a bit of chill of some description, which ended up being the petticoat. Um, But I never thought that it would be considered to be so girly. I know that's weird, but I guess I've worn that kind of situation my whole life and I used to wear things in my hair and accessories and bows and so that just felt natural only then once that was established I didn't understand the impact that it would have on other people and in the very early years and still a little bit now I get a lot of criticism for wearing something that's particularly feminine but when I explain to people that I don't even own pants. (laughs) I think then people realised that it was something that I felt comfortable in and it was part of my identity. And where does the criticism come from? It came from parents initially. I think parents that were worried about showing their children something that was too boxed in, too feminine, and that wasn't sort of neutral enough. But most of the time the criticism had come from teenagers because they didn't want the Wiggles to have a girl. And so for the first two years I was criticised for being in the group by older fans just because they wanted to protect the Wiggles of their generation. And I think the way that we overcame it was because I totally knew where they were coming from. I was like, I get it. 
I used to watch The Wiggles too. And I know what you mean. But for the children now, we're their Wiggles. And so some of these children of our Wiggly generation, particularly in the last six years, they don't know who Greg or Murray or Jeff are and they've grown up with a girl Wiggle. So it's, it's normal for them. And you do, as a group, when you do your messaging about things that children can do, you are Mm. very conscious in that messaging about anybody can do anything. And how much do you, as a group, sit down and think about that sort of role modelling, telling girls and boys that, you know, if you want to wear a bow in your hair and be like Emma, you can do that as a girl, you can do that as a boy. That's good. Yeah, and, and that's something that has come from the background that the originals had with early childhood development, letting the children decide however they want to express themselves and even when we're at the show and there may be children in wheelchairs or that might not be able to walk they have crutches or they're unable to move their legs you know we'll always let them participate in the show any way that they feel comfortable whether that's just listening or watching or singing or dancing with their hands you know it's up to the children to decide how they want to participate in the concert and it's the same with dressing up and we are very conscious conscious of the stigmas about female roles and male roles and so you know that's why in our series we always try and you know change it up recently we had you know the song Miss Polly had a dolly who was sick 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 we changed it to Mr Polly so Lockie was Polly so we you know we try and do that a lot and I'm dressing up as a doctor and a chiropractor and a dentist and a horse rider and you know we try and change that up because we have some people that are very Um, pro wanting to keep things in boxes and some people that are not. But I guess you can't please everybody. So we just want to show to the children that any role they're able to be a part of in any way that they want to. I want to take you back now to your own childhood. Mm. When was the first time you thought, hmm, I get treated differently because I'm a girl? (sighs) I guess for a lot of children and particularly children that come to our show, We're in that pre-literal stage. Our audience is very young. And most of the time they don't know if they're a boy or a girl. Like that's not a big thing to them. They're like, I'm a child, I'm here, I'm at the concert. And so when I think about it, when I was younger... I don't even think I remember. <laughs> I don't I don't remember ever having challenges until I was older. And I think because I'm quite determined and hardworking and I'm a bit of a high achiever. Once I started to, you know, have an opinion and creative input, that's when I found I had a lot of tension as a young female. I think that's where I found it. And so what age would that have been? Maybe about 19, 20 And you were already in the industry then? You were a performer? I was a performer and I created my own film company, a film production company, and I was doing lots of film making and editing for different concerts and weddings and, you know, you have it, you name it. I've edited everything. And I think people just didn't expect that I would be able to run a company that early or do something in the film industry that was particularly boy heavy you know so many camera teams even at my film school were all made up of males and when I went to film school out of 80 students that were there 10 of us were female and 70 of us were male wow (laughs) you know when I got to there I thought wow and that was weird for me I I never realized that that industry was so particular but all the girls in my year group we had roles as 
editors, producers, you know, quite high up roles, but it was always about being that caring opposite to the male role. And I found out, you know, ages and ages ago, like when the film industry was really booming in the 20s, most of the time the directors were male and the editors were female because they were able to calm the director down and get them to see the story from an editing point of view. So maybe that's why I found myself in the film editing situation because I loved that area and I was able to deal with the challenges with the rest of my crew who were all male. And did you always know even from being a very small girl that you wanted to be in the creative industries somehow, somewhere? Yeah, I think, you know, my parents, they just don't know where it came from. But (laughs) as soon as I was born, my mum always jokes that she wanted to put a sign up on the front door saying under new management. And so I basically have been just born to be a bit creative since I was started. I guess I never really thought that I would do anything else but something creative, but I've always tried to study quite hard. And, you know, school was quite important, even though I went to a performing arts school. And what sparked the love of film? Well, I had a bit of a trauma at school. I was dropped in a dance lift and I hurt my back. I had wedge compressions in my thoracic spine. And so being at a performing arts school, it was like the end of the world, not being able to dance for so many months. It was almost a year I didn't dance. And the reason why I was at the school, because I was in love with dance and I never thought I would do anything else. And so I was quite upset and I was I was quite depressed and ended up having to try and find other things to do. And the two activities that I was given was reading to the prep children which was amazing. And I, I'm so thankful that I had that experience. While everyone else was doing ballet, I would walk down to the preps and then go and read with them. And then the other thing they thought might be good for me was to try art instead. And my mum, she grew up as a graphic designer. She was a freehand illustrator and I could never draw like her. But I, for some reason, gravitated towards film and I thought, okay, well, I can put dance on film. And then I ended up spending three months teaching myself how to use Final Cut Pro. And this was year 11 and I just loved it. (laughs) And I just fell in love with the creative and technical aspects of film editing. And then once I was able to realise how to film dance and put that on video, I found a whole new side of my passion. But you came back to the performing, obviously. I came with, back. Yeah. Well, I, I struggled a bit because I had been to a performing arts school, McDonald College, which was the best thing ever. And afterwards, everyone kind of assumes that you will try in the industry. But I had been given a scholarship to Sydney Film School after one of my films was seen at a festival. Oh, fantastic. It was fantastic, but it was very strange. I thought, wow, am I going to do this? This is quite bizarre. So I ended up taking the scholarship because I just thought that's my best opportunity to try this. I did film school for the year and got my advanced diploma in screen production and loved that. And afterwards, I went back and studied full-time dance at 85 International. 
But then after that, I really wanted to combine them together. And so I started at UTS in media arts and communication. But I always struggled there because they didn't want me to do both. They right. wanted me just to do film. And I was like, no, I want to do dance on film. <laughs> so that, that was a difficult time. I started in The Bachelor, but one of my mentors was amazing. And I think he kind of could see the creative nutbag that I was. And he was like, oh, you need to apply for your master's with all your experience that you've had. So instead of finishing The Bachelor, I applied and I put my portfolio in to the master's and got in and was under his direction. And that was the best thing I ever did. And then the gumption to start your own company. Where did that come from? That really just was because I was, I'd finished my full-time dance and I was auditioning every week. I auditioned for so many shows. <laughs> it's crazy. Every show that came to Sydney, I had auditioned for and not been successful. And so I knew that I needed to pay my rent and it was starting to get a bit tight. So my partner and I at the time, we started a production company and we just edited everyone's showreels, dance concerts, weddings, everything possible. And that's really how that started. And tell me, what was your first wiggly moment? Because you started in the sort of support Mm. uh, level for the Wiggles, the other performers rather than in the main group. I was doing this production company, editing some friends' weddings, and I'd seen the audition for a ballet dancing fairy at the Wiggles. And I had auditioned for the Wiggles about a year earlier, and I'd been there the whole day, but I I didn't get a call back. So I was like, oh, yeah, I know where that place is. I'll go and have a try. (laughs) But this audition was a bit particular because they were able to send a video of the audition piece, and you had to learn it over the weekend. And then by Monday, when you came to the audition, you were expected to know it and that was quite interesting to me because I thought that cuts out a lot of the process I can learn this no problem so I knew that I just had to be a fairy and I just knew I had to have ballet technique and I was like yep tick tick that'll be fine I've got very fairy-esque hair I've got very curly blonde hair at the time I went along to the audition and there was about 50 girls and we all had to do the song one at a time but it was all mimed you know it was all a ballet dance and we mimed to a track and at the end of the day they said would anybody like to attempt to sing this and I thought to myself no way that's so hard like how can I do ballet and sing this at the same time four girls were so brave and Uh. they did it I didn't and usually at dance they always tell you just go for everything put yourself out there you know if, if you look enthusiastic that'll get you the job but this time I was very reserved I was like no that's not going to bring out the best of me so I just sat on the chair and it didn't do anything however the next day I got a call and I got the job so I was quite taken aback but the only reason I think as to why is because at the end they asked for anybody who did any special tricks. Usually that's what happens in a dance audition. Like, (laughs) can anybody do anything else while we're here? And they're usually looking for acrobatics, which I cannot do. I can do a cartwheel. That's probably about it. But the girl that was on the audition panel, she was an Irish dancer and she's Anthony's niece. And she recognised me from the competitions because we'd actually been competing against each other for years, like 15 years. I said, yes, I am an Irish dancer. She's like, would you mind giving us a reel up and down? So I did a little bit of an Irish jig and then got the call back the next day. So I guess I have to thank my Irish dancing background. But the only reason why I started that was because I watched Irish dancing on the Wiggles. 
when oh. I was younger. <laughs> it is cyclical and it, it sounds like a bizarre story of events, but that is exactly how I started dancing because I wanted to do Irish dancing from the Wiggles videos. That's fantastic. So the Wiggles were always there for you and you were there as Fairy Larissa and then as Wags the dog, Dorothy the dinosaur, a wiggly dancer, and of course now you are a Wiggle yourself. Did you expect when you joined the group as Emma that you would get the level of interest and inquiry into your personal life that has surrounded you in these years? I mean, you are famous as Emma the Wiggle, but there's also a large degree of interest in you. And how do you experience that? I don't think I expected it at all. And even the familiarity of being a Wiggle itself. And I remember the first time we performed as the Wiggles at Dreamworld, I was just surprised that people knew my name. You know, like children were calling out Emma and I thought, how do they know who I am? And we weren't even on TV then, so it was quite a shock. And then I think when all the criticism started, I felt quite negative about everything because I thought, I'm not here to try and take away from the originals. And I was quite worried about media really early on because I just felt that I was being scrutinised for a role that... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I necessarily didn't choose. You know, it's not like we were a band emerging, you know, and growing together. The three of us, Simon and Lockie and I, we stepped into a group that had such a big reputation and such a legend to uphold that it's quite a different way of looking at it. And then I guess after the criticism started to die down, I realised that then people were like, oh, okay, so what are your interests and who are you and where did you grow up and what did you do? And and that interest definitely grew and has grown so much. And really, I guess I have to put it down to the fact that I am the female in the group. And, you know, it tends to be about what is she wearing and, you know, superficial things like that. But that interest has grown and it has been more invasive <laughs> as the years have gone on. But I think because parents are watching the Wiggles in their household and it could be every day or four times a day, they feel like they know you. And it's not that they're being rude, it's that they just want to know more about you because they care about you. They tend to think that we are part of their family and that's actually a really beautiful thing. And did the sort of gender dynamic to that interest and coverage, did that frustrate you? Did you look at the other Wiggles and think how come I'm getting the disproportionate interest in my personal life or I'm the one who's being asked, am I going to have kids myself, you know, (laughs) 20 times a day? Was there a frustration to that or you just accepted that it really is because, as you describe it, and I think you're absolutely right, people just have this sense that the Wiggles are part of their world and so they feel like they really know you. Yeah, and and I've come to accept that so much more. And actually, we have the nicest fans. You know, we have this 
beautiful world of children and parents that really want to invite you in to their house and they just want to know about you because they care. We don't really get noticed in a public area where someone's angry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, parents are like, oh my gosh, I watch you on TV. And <laughs> you're in my, I watch you every morning. Oh, this is my daughter. She started ballet because of you. And, and I think that excitement changes everything. You know, there's, there's no meeting of a person that's been negative because everyone's so thrilled to meet you in person because they watch you so often. And that's why they feel that they know you. The other side of being so recognisable is it's given you an amazing platform to talk about some of the things that you really are passionate about. And one of those is Auslan mm. signing for deaf people or people with hearing impairments. What got you so interested in Auslan? My best friend from school, we were probably in year two at the time, maybe like nine or ten years old, and her brothers were both deaf. And we would just go over to her house all the time and play hide and seek. And once I started to realise, because that was probably the earliest that I was even, it was brought to my attention that there were people in our society that couldn't hear. And so I was so fascinated and I would point to different objects in the house and ask them to show me what the sign was for that object, like a cereal box or a table or a chair and a school bag and a hat. And I was just fascinated by their use of communication and that she could communicate with them and it was like a secret language and I just thought it was amazing. And so that's how it started and I used to go to workshops at their school with her, learnt a bit of Auslan, but my Auslan is so casual. I think it's been the biggest struggle for me because I would love to do my certificate, but now I don't have time because I'm on the road. So I can never pass because my participation level is zero being on the road for nine months of the year. But we've tried to incorporate sign language in the live shows and in our DVDs. And it's been a great experience to work with deaf consultants or interpreters with the Deaf Society or Deaf Australia. And and I think those interactions, I've learned so much, you know, from people that are so involved in the deaf community and accredited or, or have grown up with deaf parents. There's so many different aspects of Auslan that for us, particularly at the Wiggle Show, it's not just children that are deaf, but lots of children that are on the autistic spectrum that might be nonverbal, they use sign language. And so we've just tried to incorporate it as much as possible because we can see the benefit to children and to families because so many deaf children are born to hearing parents. So it's about the hearing parents, you know, coming to the table too and, and learning the signs so that they can help their children. It's fantastic. And the other thing you've used your platform for, and it's been a very brave thing to do, is to talk about some of your own personal health challenges. What made you decide to do that? You know, Julia, it's so weird. Yeah. I never <laughs> I never thought that I would be in this position. But when I was diagnosed with endometriosis, Anthony was so good. He's like, okay, you need to sort this out now. Like, this can't wait. And I think also because my symptoms, I'd obviously left it too long. So it was already impinging on my performance. And he was very good in figuring out how to, you know, structure our schedule around it and not make it impact as many people in the public as possible. So we tried to get, you know, the surgery and so that I didn't have to miss that many shows and we had two great understudies and it was something that I I just thought, oh, let's not worry about it. Um, but then I thought, well, I'm going to have to explain to the children as to why I'm not in the show, particularly the children that are about 
four onwards, they recognize me as opposed to somebody else dressed in the costume. But for anybody younger, they wouldn't they wouldn't know, <laughs> even a, though it's not me. <laughs> there's an army of fake Emmas out there. There's, oh, no. <laughs> there's so many. And look, they're doing a wonderful job. Anthony and I had a big talk about it and I said, oh, yeah, well, I'm just going to have to explain it and we tried to think of the two different ways to explain it so we had to explain it to the parents and then we had to explain it to the children in two different videos and it seemed quite pragmatic and it I didn't think that it would be such a tsunami of things to come and I ended up having an interview on channel nine and just was basically doing a national announcement that I wasn't going to be on the road in New South Wales or in Adelaide for that time and that I'd be back as soon as I possibly could and thank you for the support. And by the time the interview finished, it was just like a flood of messages and from parents and, you know, mothers that had had endometriosis and they'd overcome it and they'd had the same issues and now they have two children and the most amazing stories and journeys that these women have put themselves through And some of them have come out the other side and succeeded in the fact that they they were able to then end up having their own children. And they wanted to share that with me and to make sure that I was okay. And I just didn't expect that it would be such a connection point with mothers in Australia and all over the world. It's amazing. Somebody talks to me about endometriosis every day. And it's fantastic that you've shone a light and started that conversation. It really is. Thank you. When you describe your life from the accident that caused the problem with your back to this health challenge to touring to everything that you've had to do to get where you are to being the first woman to be a wiggle, what's propelled you on? That's taken a lot of resilience and to tour nine months of the year, you know, it all sounds very glamorous until (laughs) you wake up in a hotel room and say to yourself, where am I? Um, And then it's not so much fun. Where does that resilience and drive come from? I think it's definitely the children. And even when you're performing for the live audience, their energy to us on the stage is outrageous. They're so excited to be there. It might be the first time that they've ever seen a concert in their life. And so that excitement from the children and from the parents is really something that you can't match in any other arena But I guess the beauty about being a Wiggle is that I've been able to do so many different things. Like I've been able to record music and create music, play an instrument, dance, film editing. I film on the road. I put all the edits together. Like it's encapsulated all the things that I love to do in one space. And you meet so many different people around the world that are facing challenges and that you're able to help them with the music or the dancing. And and I think that just makes you want to bring more awareness to children and, and their multicultural contexts around the world. And so what's next for Emma? Yeah. I have to uh, preface that by saying my great niece Isla loves you. <laughs> uh, she loves Emma. She's got Emma everything. Oh. Uh, and she would be very intrigued, I think, to know what next for Emma. Well, we just finished an Emma series too, which has been on ABC and it's on Netflix and It's been wonderful. It was so nice to be able to build on the first Emma series and and make something a little bit more elaborate and there was more people within our Wiggly community and we did 
different styles of dance and different songs from all around the world and that was really helpful for us too. It was such a great learning experience and I guess I hope that we're able to do another Emma series, maybe, but we're working on a new Wiggly series that's coming out next year, which is so exciting. It's got lots of dancing and lots of new songs. At this stage, it feels a little bit free. We had lots of things up our sleeve this year. We did an amazing DVD with the Australian Ballet and we had a beautiful tour in America and in Canada and with some great friends over in Canada on their network, Treehouse. But actually, one of the most exciting things is that we might be going back to the UK next year. So we're looking forward to that because a lot of our musical inspiration comes from a Celtic background and the Wiggles itself. And Anthony used to play the bagpipes in the army. And so his love of bagpipes has grown and has turned into this huge, like, cult following of Scottish music amongst our fans, particularly in Canada, because they have such a big Scottish music background. The fact that we might be able to go to the UK and explore that and catch up with some people that play beautiful folk music would be lovely. (laughs) And then we can share it with everybody. That's amazing. Now, you're a woman who's had a fair bit of interest in your personal life, having been married for a period to one of your fellow Wiggles, Lockie. But I feel today we've got to unveil to listeners the love of your life that you've brought to the studio with you. Can you tell everybody about that? (laughs) This is my new puppy, (laughs) Darley, and he is a miniature poodle. And he's uh, sound asleep now. Charlie the dog, the best behaved dog. He was a bit fiddly before because I think he wanted to sit on your lap rather than (laughs) mine. He's here and I'm attempting to bring him on the tour. Oh, so Dali goes on tour. Dali's on tour. He may actually be the the next surprise in store for the young viewers. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, there's been a lot of interest, particularly with Lockie and I being on the road and being part of the Wiggles journey. And as I've I've said it so many times recently, but it's such a joy to have Lockie on stage with me and on the road. And we don't tour without each other in a weird way because we've been on this road together for the last 10 years and so I guess for us not to be touring would be weird. Yes. (laughs) I'm glad that you know we're at a point now where we're both with new partners and both of our new partners part of our Wiggly family and we know each other and we've all been friends before and so it was it was a new chapter in our lives but I'm so grateful that we've been able to you know make this lovable for ourselves and for the audience as well because yeah it's weird I mean the fact that we would have to talk about anything so personal in a wiggly context is bizarre (laughs) but what we were saying before is about the families really wanting to know is because they they do genuinely care and so it's nice that their care is being able to support us through this time and we're in such a great place and we're so happy now so it's lovely (laughs) and the world's cutest puppy I would have been very happy to have Dali (laughs) on my lap absolutely Now, we're going to move to the uh, questions that I've asked each of my guests at the end. I put a fact to each of my guests. Your fact is that the UK gender equality charity Fawcett found that 45% of people said that they experienced gender stereotyping as children in the form of expectations to behave in a certain way. 
More than half of people affected said childhood stereotyping constrained their career choices and 44% said it harmed their personal relationships. You surprised by that? I think that's what I meant before about not really understanding the perspectives of people, particularly in Australia, about how connected people are with stereotypes and what that means for people. And this year, we received a beautiful sign that was brought to us by a little boy in the audience. And it said, boys can be Emma too, and had a beautiful bow on the sign. And we, we received so many beautiful signs and craft and bows and roses for Dorothy and all the rest of it. And like when I brought it up to the stage, Lockie sang about it and everyone in the audience was cheering, like oh. clapping. And, and I was like, that's so nice. Not thinking anything of it, Lockie and I were like, let's take a picture of that. I gave Lockie a bow and he put it in his hand. We took a picture in the loading dock at the back of the theatre And when I put it up on Instagram, I didn't realise that so many people were offended by the post, um, saying that we were trying to encourage a fluid gender approach. And I was like, no, 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 (laughs) don't get me wrong. Um, This was a sign brought to us by someone in the audience. And even at the time that that show was on, they didn't feel that there was anything wrong about the sign because it was brought from somebody and we were showing it and people may not realise but so many children, in particular boys, come to the show dressed as Emma Wiggle and not because it's because I'm a girl or anything different. They just they just see Emma and they're like, yeah, I want to dress up like Emma today and so it's really just about them dressing up in any way that they want to and it was at no point forcing boys to wear bows. <laughs> Even though Lockie does look very good in a bow, It is amazing that even in Australia, we're still sitting in such a conservative place. And, you know, some parents are really progressive and open-minded and and it really isn't about letting boys be girls and girls. That's not what it's about. But it's really just letting children express themselves. And it doesn't mean to force them to be any particular stereotype or to stay within the box that they are. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as a woman, what would you say is the worst misogyny you've ever had to deal with in your career? Oh, Julia, that's Mm. a good one. I feel like it happens to me a lot, and particularly being a girl wiggle, I still get hate on social media about being a girl wiggle. (laughs) That happens daily, but I don't really worry about it, or I'm I'm not affected by it. But I know that social media can be such a negative place, but it can be a really positive place to connect with families as well. But one time when I was doing my film production company, I went to a film shop to buy some cables and I walked in and the guy serving me um, said, sorry, miss, are you lost? Are you in the wrong shop? And I was like, hang on a second. I can name every cable in here. Yeah, so, I meant to yeah. go to a dress shop, but I just ended up. I just ended up in the film shop. But, you know, I think for me it happens quite often. And maybe in terms of the new Wiggles themselves, you know, it was really all about a chance to prove ourselves and to let people love us and, and know about us and learn about us. And as soon as people came to see the show, they were like, oh, I see, I get it. It's like the same music, but it's more now. There's more harmonies. There's more dancing. It's more of this, oh, she likes dancing too. Oh, she plays the drums. Oh, she drives the car. Oh, she does sign language. Like There's so many different elements. I think it's just once people get to know you, they can relax because it was just a fear of the unknown before. If... For one day, you got to have the power to do anything. 
What's the one thing you would change for women? I guess it would be for women to be able to access education and for them to have a role in education too. We have so much to bring to the world that having women and really nobody works as much as a working mother. And I understand that now, not being a mother, but I can see, you know, women are so good at strategizing their time and being able to look after other people as well as giving to others and looking after themselves. And so I think that is something that we can all learn from, particularly boys. (laughs) (laughs) Virginia Woolf says, no need to hurry, no need to sparkle, no need to be anybody but oneself. Emma says, agreed. (laughs) You know, that quote reminds me of that beautiful children's book called Edward the Emu. And Edward the emu goes around to the different animals in the zoo and tries to figure out why he doesn't look like the tiger or the lion or the elephant. And then when he finds Edwina and he realises that he's just as special because he's his own animal, it's exactly like that quote. And that's what that reminds me of. But it is a chance for everyone to bring their own identity to the world. That's how we're going to learn through other people's differences. Though I suspect uh, you might say, "Mm, there is a little bit of a need to sparkle. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Thank you very much. That's been a delight. Thank you, Julia. You've been listening to a podcast of one's own with Julia Gillard from the Global Institute for Women's Leadership at King's College London. For more information on our work and to sign up to our updates, visit the Global Institute for Women's Leadership website. This podcast has been produced by Lizzie Ellen and James Miller with Kings Online and additional editing by Nick Hilton. If you've liked what you've been listening to, please rate and review us with your preferred podcast provider and come back next time for another episode of A Podcast of One's Own with Julia Gillard. Listener.